I'm going to offer a prayer for the offering just before that couple of, uh, couple of statements for you. Uh, if you've been kind of following along with our summer events and different big event things, we are 0 for 3 on big events with weather. Our first uh, food truck rained out. Uh, second thing was a summer jam, rained out. This last week was food truck and rained out. Now, the good news is that there's nothing worse than canceling because you've got to cancel early. So on these big events where we have vendors coming in, they're food vendors or people bringing amusement stuff. We had a, a, a train being brought, you know, for the kids, for the jam. They want to know early. So we're getting calls this past week on Monday saying, is it on for Friday? It's like, well, how do I make that call? So we keep saying, well, what's, you know, for food vendors, what's the latest we can tell you? Uh, can we wait till Friday? And they can know Thursday. So we have to make these calls at least by then. I have to say one positive thing on Friday. So we canceled the event because of the potential of rain on Friday. And then it opened up here and poured up here on, on the mountain. It was on the hill here side. It was so nice to see it rain. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's just nothing worse than canceling and sitting out there looking at the blue sky and everybody saying, what's wrong with you people? So at least nobody said, what's wrong with you people this time? So we know the weather that's taking place, of course, with the flooding and all that. One of the things that has exposed here for us, if you haven't noticed, if you've been here Sunday, we have a roof on this building that is pretty dated that we've been trying to put off a major repair on it because we're looking at a possible renovation that might happen that we want to tie that in together. And this summer, the rain has just not allowed that. So we have a critical need. I just want to pass along for you. Um, a crit- two two critical needs. Number one, we've got a good bid for $100,000 to come in and do the roofing on this part and and the main main, uh, lobby area that we need to get done. The the rains aren't letting up and it's getting bad. So I I passed it along because that's not something that we had budgeted or set aside. And on top of that, the other critical need, we're coming into a month where May and June, for whatever reasons, giving was down. As I've shared with you before, we don't operate here with an endowment. We don't have big accounts. Every dollar that comes in goes right back out again, goes into ministry. So as we, as we usually anticipate May, June being really strong because we come into the summer months, which of course is a little weaker because people traveling, we've been hit with a double, kind of a double whammy of critical need. One, just the summer months in, in general, and then the roof. So as you give, just remember that if you would. Now please know, some, some of you are thinking, oh, he's telling us this right before the offering. So people write a check. I'm not giving you time to write a check. I just want you to know of the need uh, as, we, as we consider what God might have you do. Let me offer a prayer. Father, as we talk about our need, uh, it's just like any one of us in our lives. We've got the unexpected that happens. We have the things we don't anticipate. We've got our own roof leaks, perhaps flooding in a basement. We've got cars that break down, all those kind of things that we don't anticipate and plan on. They, come at the, the, they never come at a convenient time. And so any one of us can relate to that. We relate to an economy out there that at times has been a little nerve-wracking or suspect. And I'm just reminded again that you know all of that and that you are not bothered, you are not anxious. Remind us that as we put our faith and trust in you, as we give to you, that one of your promises in return is that we give to you and you meet our every need. So remind us that you are the God that meets needs. For any individual here facing need, whether it be financial, whether it be a physical need, whether it be something in their life they're facing, an emotional battle, whatever it might be, remind them that you are the God that meets our needs. As we have some critical needs here financially, Father, raise up up those funds. Uh, I know there are many folks that give regularly. It's part of their plan and giving to the church. And I give thanks. We're not asking them to do any more, but many perhaps are new beginning in the process. Um, And uh, perhaps, perhaps they would consider saying, yeah, I want to be in as well as a part of giving to the church. So you know that need. We'll trust you to meet it. And I pray that as we give, whether it's in an offering basket, whether it's online, whatever that might be, I pray that every person that participates that gift would have that sense of blessing that comes, as you've promised, as we give back to you just a small portion of what you have given to us. Take this offering and bless it. Bless every person that participates and gives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll share in our offering together this morning. One of our greeters today just made my day this morning. So I was out in the lobby with him and uh, talking to John, and uh, he said this. He said, I said, good morning. He said, good morning back. And he said, you know what? I'm a greeter. It's going to be a good day today. Everybody walking in is walking with a smile on their face today. 
And so I immediately said, well, I got to be honest, waking up to sunshine versus clouds and rain, that kind of puts a smile on your face. Wouldn't you agree that it was kind of nice waking up this morning and seeing sunshine? I said, I I think that could be the answer. And then he said this, he looks at me and he goes, but it could be something else. I said, okay, it could be they're all smiling because they're just excited to hear your sermon today. I said, you know, John, I don't believe that, and neither do you, but I'm going with that. I'm going with that. We're going this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series called Seven Steps. We're talking about what is, what's our plan? What's the Essex Lions Church plan? Now, we have a purpose statement. Uh, we've, I've shared that with you. The church has a purpose statement. The purpose of Essex Alliance Church is to help people become followers of Jesus, help more people become followers of Jesus, and help people become better followers of Jesus. It's a pretty straightforward purpose of plan. Purpose. But the, the key is the purpose isn't enough. All sorts of people can tell you the purpose of the church. But that doesn't mean necessarily anything because it has to somehow then get translated in. But what's the plan? How are, we going to, how are we going to help people fo- become followers of Jesus? How do we help more people become followers of Jesus? And how do we help people become better followers of Jesus? What exactly is the plan? And that's what we're talking about, seven steps. Real quickly, step one we said is this. A follower of Jesus Christ who calls EAC home builds friendships of integrity with the people around them. We said this, assume for just a moment that you are dropped into an area no one's ever heard about the Bible, no one's ever heard about God, no one's ever heard about Jesus Christ. I mean, like no point of reference. Where would you start in telling them the story? Where would you start in, in having, helping them become a follower of Jesus? You'd start with what? Friendship. You would start with a relationship. And notice the words we said, integrity. Friendships of integrity, which means you love people because God loves people. Uh, they matter to you because they matter to God. That They're just not targets. They're just not doing something out of obligation. You just love people because God loves people, which goes to step two, we said, and that is these friendships we have of integrity build the bridge for a verbal witness to be shared at the appropriate time. At some point in time, if you've got friendships with people of integrity, friendships that matter, at some point in time, the door is going to be open for you to say something with your mouth about who God is. And building friendships build bridges. And let me tell you, there's two conversations that take a lot of weight on a bridge, politics and God. So you got to have a good, strong bridge a friendship, to have the conversation. And by conversation, please know, that's where I lose people all the time. They go, oh, I'm not good at using my words. Any person here who's a follower of Jesus can say to someone who might be in need and say to them, I don't have all the answers for you. Man, no holier than thou statement from me. I just want you to know God has radically changed my life. And I'll pray for you. I'll do more than that. How can I help you? And, and if you're one to talk about how God's changed my life, I'd be happy to have the conversation. Any one of us can say that. But we also learned this, is after you have that moment, for most people, the response is one of, okay. The one response is, thank you very much. Don't go any further. Uh, dangerous territory. So we said, then what do we do? Well, that brings us into step three. In step three, we said at this, at their timing, At their timing, the friend is brought to an event or a church service that's designed with both them and with you in mind. There they'll find an event or a service that's relevant, practical, temporary, done with excellence, allowing them all the time they need to decide what to do with Jesus. We said that the next step along the way is that we provide... We provide for you services or events where you can invite someone to come along. Um, now, rain's taking care of many of our events so far, but we still have them. And we have next one, have, we have a, a King's Brass coming up on Sunday where you can say, hey, we got, a bunny, we got some brass guys coming. You'd love to hear that. Uh, Corn rows. But an event where you can say, come with me. There's no, there's no pressure, nothing like that. But a place where you're going to find something that's done with excellence. You're going to find a service or an event that's done with them in mind, giving them time. Because here's the thing we know, and perhaps you're here this morning because a friend brought you, and you're going to begin hearing some truths about the Bible, and you're going to wonder, what do I do with God? Here's the thing. For any one of us who have been following like a world, a world agenda, the whole the cultural agenda, if you ever want to consider switching to a God agenda, that's going to take time. Nobody just immediately going, I'll make the switch. So we want to give people time in thought process to say, well, what does it mean to follow God and to go through that process in their timing? Which then brings us to four. And Matt, Matt, uh, Pastor Matt, last week covered these two. The number, step number four, a person decides they're in. 
Once they decide, once they decide they want to follow Jesus, they're invited to participate in a study designed especially for them, taking the next step in their walk with God, and then step five, and then a growing follower of Jesus engages in a small group of discipleship experience, designed to help them in their walk, grow their understanding, develop their gifts, while pursuing both community and the reality of belonging. One of the, you see there's a progression there. Uh, they can come to an event, they can take all the time they need, but at some point in time they might go, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. We take them to, into a study that would say, hey, here's what it means to follow Jesus, designed just for them. But then for all of us in the journey, we encourage everyone to be a part of a small group. Please hear this, our goal at Essex Alliance Church is that every single adult who calls this church their home would be a part of some kind of small group. Now, we're not going to go through a checklist and see, are you in a group? But our goal would be to have 100% of our adults attached somehow in a small group. Now, why? Well, number one, that's where real growth takes place. Some people say, well, I come to church Sunday, that should be enough. Not enough. In fact, I can take you all through Scripture. Everywhere in Scripture you'll find that people that were walking with God and growing in their faith were doing so in the context of other people. God has not called you to a private walk with God. He's called you to a personal one, but not a private one. He's not called anyone to go solo. The strength in the church of growing together happens as we connect with one another. Small group is where it at. In the fall, this uh, mid-late fall, we're going to offer like a four to six week plan where we're hoping everybody would jump into a small group for just four weeks time. Give it a try and just see the benefit. But let me give you another benefit. It's not just about growing spiritually. Let me tell you something that I know is going to happen in your life. At some point in time in your life, something's going to take place. The bottom is going to fall out. Some tragic moment, a divorce, a loss, a death, a sickness, something's going to happen where you desperately need people. I know this to be true because this is life. Now, if you are not a part of a small group, we as a church, church staff, pastoral staff, we'll do everything we can to help you. But you need to know it will not be near the effectiveness if you had a group of people in your life. I've shared this story through our, the membership class through the years. I share it here as a, as a larger group. I remember the day vividly well. I was at the hospital. I got there about the same time, literally the same time, that the doctor was going to walk in and to tell one of our families from the church that dad had just died. And we're talking a young family with kids, and they didn't, they didn't know this was coming. I happened to walk in where he saw me and said, hey, we'll go together. And we walked in to hear that news. You can imagine that's about as bad a moment as it can be. And I was glad that I was able to be there. I didn't know the family well, but I knew them and sat there and just, and that you, you, you can imagine hearing that news and sobbing, crying, and just holding this, mo- this mother, this, this uh, mother and, and wife and uh, just the emotional pain, two kids and all of that. Social worker came in for a moment and said, can I just have a minute with the family? I said, sure. I stepped out. I immediately got on the phone, called the office and said, look up the name of this family. I said, are they in a small group? And immediately they said, they are. I said, would you please notify the small group right away that the, the, the small group leader that this has just happened. Now catch this. In about 30, 40 minutes, I still remember it because this, this young woman was on my shoulder crying and I could, I could see the doorway of the emergency room and the first couple from that small group, the leaders, walked through the door because they got the call. And when she turned and saw them, man, she dropped me like a rock. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just like... And off she goes and catch this, in the next hour's worth of time, virtually every member of that small group showed up in that hospital waiting room. And there wasn't one thing for me to do. Otherwise, they needed tissues and they needed water bottles. So my job, I got tissues and water bottles. And I stood aside as this small group ministered to this woman and her family. Friends, the moment is going to come in your life where you need people. And we'll do the best we can to meet that need, but it will not be the same. And the way that you prepare for that moment is you join a group now. You get engaged now. You get people in your life now. You begin growing together and building those relationships so when those moments come, you've got the network already set and built around you. Hopefully, you will do just that. And then that takes us to to step six. 
which is where we're at today. So small groups and growing together in God's, in, in God's word, and then takes us to step six. The growing follower of Jesus joins in the community of other followers of Jesus serving together based upon their God-given spiritual gifts, talents, and interests. The next natural progression is, where do I serve and how do I serve? How do I be a part of this church? How do I be a part of this fellowship? Now, today is going to be kind of an introduction for the next couple of weeks because specifically, I want to talk about a key statement in there, and that is how a a believer operates by their God-given gifts. The Bible says that every believer is given spiritual gifts. The moment that you say yes to Jesus Christ, The second that you give your life over to Jesus, yes, he comes into your life, eternity is cared for, sin's forgiven, you got a great future. Without question, all that happens in an instant. But there's something else that we sometimes forget about, and the Bible says that when I give my life to Jesus Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit comes in, and the Holy Spirit gives to us spiritual gifts. I'm going to talk more about that, of course, as we unpackage this thing. Spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given spiritual gifts by God. They're there. Maybe you didn't know it. Maybe you didn't recognize it. But those gifts are there. Let me tell you a quick story. I grew up in the church. Faithfully attended church. We were, man, we were as faithful as anyone could possibly be in the church. I went to a Christian college. I, was, I went to, to learn and train specifically to be a pastor. I knew that's what God had called me to do. I was in my first church. I was in our first church. I was the associate pastor. And I was asked to teach a class on spiritual gifts. That was my assignment. So it's not a thing where I can say, no, I don't think so. I was asked to teach a class on spiritual gifts. I went back to my office and immediately had a problem. The problem is I sat down and I'm going to teach this class on spiritual gifts. And the problem is this. Even though I grew up in the church, I didn't know anything about spiritual gifts. I somehow, I can't, I can't, I couldn't ever remember uh, sermon on spiritual gifts. I didn't remember taking a class on spiritual gifts. I went to Bible college, and if they had a class on spiritual gifts, I must have skipped that day. I, I did skip a couple, but apparently that was a bad day because I don't remember anyone teaching me about spiritual gifts, preaching on them, none of those things, and here I am, and I'm going to preach on spiritual gifts. Now, if you're brand new to the church, you're thinking spiritual gifts. This is not, you know, real, you know electric cranes or jewelry type gifts. These have a little more substance. They're gifts like teaching and, and helps and mercy, those kind of gifts. I knew nothing. Uh, I had a little vague understanding of it. So I sat down, and what's interesting, I want you to hear this. I sat down, and I began thinking, my only full best understanding of spiritual gifts is what I was observing in people through the years. They'd been in the church my whole life. That my best understanding of spiritual gifts was based on what I had seen in other people who were serving and using their spiritual gifts. So I started by writing down some observations of what I had seen. I wrote these observations some 40 plus years ago. And I still had them in my notes. And so here were some of my observations and I find them to be true today. I wrote down this. I said, first of all, many people don't seem to know about spiritual gifts. And if they do know about them, they seem to be terribly intimidated by the idea of spiritual gifts. I made this observation that the gifts that get most of the attention are things like speaking in tongues and like prophecy. Um, Those are the ones that are most confusing, I found. And now some of you may not like this, but I wrote anyway. Um, My observation is not yours. I said, these are the most confusing of gifts and seem to be the least helpful gifts in the actual ongoing ministry of the church. So I wrote that down. Another observation. I said, for a lot of people, if they do know their spiritual gifts, they don't seem to use them. And I wrote something down that it seemed like about 80% of the church didn't seem to be exercising spiritual gifts. I observed this, on the positive side, that the people who knew what they should do and they understood what they could do and seemed to have the giftedness to do it, those people seemed to be the happiest people I'd seen in the church. They seemed to be the people with the most joy. I also made this observation about them, that the people that, had, that were using their gifts, my observation through the years, is not only were they the happiest, not only were they most content, not only were they most joyful, but they all seemed to have a sense of belonging. I didn't use that word. I said they had a sense of family. It seemed like all the people that were serving that were the most connected were the people that were serving. They seemed to be connected to people. They had friends. They had relationships. On the contrary, I made this observation that the people that weren't seemed to be disconnected and didn't seem to be connected to the body. 
they, for whatever reason, seem to be on the, on the outside. Now listen, friends, very carefully. A sense of warmth, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection, a sense of being a part of a team, a sense of being a part of a group of people that are living on purpose, and with that, the satisfaction and fulfillment that comes, that's exactly the experience God wants for your life. That's exactly how God wants you to feel. That's exactly what God wants you to experience as you walk through this life. A sense of warmth, a sense of belonging, a sense of commitment, a sense of, 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 of contentment and fulfillment. That's what God wants for you. Let me give you a personal story. I was 23 years old. In our first church, I was the associate pastor of youth, children, adults, disciples, young adults, and anything else they could find at any given time. Now, please know that they weren't being mean to me. When Diane and I went to our first church, we knew that I was called to be a lead pastor. And I was going on staff, and I told them up front, for three years. I said, I'll give you three years. I know God's calling me a lead pastor. But in these three years, give me every job you can. Now, I, I, this was not my own wisdom. I had a, a professor speak into my life, and he said, listen, do everything you can. I sat down and I said, give me children's, give me discipleship, give me young, give it to me all. It's only for three years. I can do, you can do about anything for three years period of time. But I told him right up front, I'll, I'll work hard for you. But in three years, I'll be leaving um, to go pastor my own church. But I want the experience. I want one day to be someplace and not have someone say, well, you never did this. I want to say, yeah, I did. So they gave me everything. I had it. I laid it all out. Shortly after that, the senior pastor left. I thought he'd be there for a while. Senior pastor left, and they came to me and said, listen, you're here. Would you preach every Sunday? Because if, you're, if you'll fill the pulpit every Sunday, they don't have to go try to find someone to preach, and that just makes it easier and more, you know, gives them time to search. And so I became the interim pastor. I said, sure, I'll do that. So now I'm preaching every Sunday. Man, I worked hard at that. Um, I worked hard at preaching because Sundays were coming. And so Sundays seemed like they came every two or three days, I have to be honest with you. It seemed like, you know, we went from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday. It just seemed that's the way that it went. It seemed like I I couldn't get it done ready and it was there it would be. So I would be speaking um, and working and studying. And the other thing that would bother me is it dawned on me, I'm young. I'm 23 years old. And here, think about this. I'm going to get to preach and everyone, virtually everyone in the church knows knows more than me. That's a very unique feeling, especially life experiences. You know, I'm, uh, I can remember when I once when I was 12 years old, big deal. You know, I'm preaching to people who go, I can't even remember when I was 12 years old. And that's my, that's my whole broad width of bandwidth of, ex, of experience. Everyone there knew more, experienced more. And I'm up there preaching. I get up every week. I'd go back Monday, start all over again and start studying. I'd put my time in and, and I, I was always afraid that I'd get up and they didn't think I'd put enough time in. So if I, if I didn't have enough content, I'd just preach longer. Uh, <clears throat> I've kept that going today, just so you know. <clears throat> I've never broken that habit. But I'd get ready, and it would seem like, here's Sunday, and I get up there, I preach again, I get up, and, and I, admittedly, I was working at it, but, there, but it didn't seem like work, but I was putting my time in. And then one Sunday, I got done preaching, it was a day that didn't go exceptionally well. And I got to be honest, there are days preaching, and I've learned this through the years, there are days when I'll get up preaching, okay, okay, transparency, hidden secrets here. There are days when I get up preaching, and I get done, and I go, Man, you were good. <laughs> and those are the days I fall flat on my face. Just empty. Because it's not about me being good. And then there are these days where I get done and I walk out in the back hall there and I just go, man, what a miserable bomb that was. And wouldn't you know, in those days, somebody walks up in tears and says, man, did God use that today? And it reminds me, it's not me. Tony came up to me. He pulled me aside and he said this, Scott, I got to tell you, I love your preaching. He said, it reminds me of this guy that I listened to on the radio, Chuck something. And I said, uh, Swindoll? Yeah, yeah, you remind me of Chuck Swindoll. And I went, me? He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, then he says, he goes, Scott, keep using your gift. I literally, I went, gift. I said, gift, you have any idea how hard I'm working at this? He goes, oh, no, no, no. You might be working at it, but it's a gift. And he said this, you keep using it because what I've been watching, the more you use your gift, the better you get. I walked away and went, okay, gift. Now, I was young. 
Um, but I have to be honest, even though I didn't understand it all real well yet, I do know that though I was working hard, it wasn't work like other jobs I'd had. You know, you go to work and you work hard, you can't wait to get done with work. You know, you go to work on Monday and you can't wait to get home Monday at 5 o'clock Monday night and you just can't wait to get to Friday. Didn't feel like that. In fact, it was work that energized me, didn't tire me, didn't make me weary. I didn't get to a place like, oh, I hate this. In fact, this, and some of you, you can't get this at all. I get it because the thought of sitting in an office all, week, all day would kill you. But when I'd sit down and look at a Bible verse and go, oh, look at that, I would go, like, that's great. Some of you are going, man, I can't figure that one out. But it was energizing to me. I can't hardly tell you the sense of fulfillment that I got from that. And that was the first time I began thinking through that getting up to speak wasn't a talent, spiritual gift powered by God. And in fact, he did something in me through that. Now, be sure you get this. There's a genius behind the church that God built in that many of us miss. Catch this. The genius of God in his church was his whole concept of servanthood. Just get this picture. We live in a whole culture today of people that are seeking after all the things that the world tells them they need to be happy. We are living in a culture today full of people who will go out after all of the things that the world says you need, and yet they still don't have real purpose. They still don't have that real cause or fulfillment to live by. They have a bunch of causes, but they go from cause to cause to cause to cause. And what will happen is this. We're a culture. People go out. They'll go get the job, get the career, get the house, get the relationship, get the marriage, or they'll keep working towards those things, and they'll actually get there. And they'll find themselves with the house or with the car or with the title, with the money. They'll make more money, and yet they'll have the multiple relationships, and yet they'll sit there still wondering why it is that they don't have this sense of, of contentment. This is the genius of God in his church. They've not had that experience of fulfillment, and not just a fulfillment in a moment, but experience that says, I get to be a part of something bigger than me, and how about this? I actually get to do something with my life that transcends my lifetime. That transcends my life and transcends time. What I get to be a part of actually goes to eternity. You know, we're talking about our steps, but let's be honest. Do you realize that if you get to help someone become a follower of Jesus, you have just weighed into eternal history. That long after you're gone, you've made a mark, which is far better than some monument out in town somewhere. That idea... This genius of God in his church is that when you say yes to him, you are not just taking care of your eternal destiny, though that is important, but when you say yes to him, that immediately he says, now, I am going to give to you spiritual gifts that will empower you to be a part of something bigger and not burn you out, not tire you, not make you weary, but make you wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I get to serve God today and to do that right to eternity. Friends, if you've never experienced that thrill, if you've never used your God-given spiritual gifts in serving, then you have yet to live. So what are these gifts? Apostle Paul begins to give us some basic descriptions in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. So here's our first text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. So Paul begins, let's start breaking some things down. Paul begins by saying, brothers and sisters. Who do you call brothers and sisters? You can call people in your family brothers and sisters. First thing you want to know about spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are for the family of God. Spiritual gifts are not given to everyone. They are only given to those people who are the followers of Jesus, the families of God, the brothers and sisters. They are not given to the world. They're given in the church. And he says this, he says, now I, I know you got a lot of questions because they've been asking Paul some questions. And then he says this, and I don't want you to be confused because the spiritual gifts can be confusing. 
Now, on top of that, there's some confusion taking place because what's happening in the church in Corinth. So what happens is he says to them, listen, before you were followed Jesus, you were kind of led astray and didn't know how to tell what was truth and what was not truth. Well, the same problem was taking place because in the church in Corinth, there were people there who claimed to be followers of Jesus who were living abhorrent lifestyles. There were people there who claimed to be a follower of Jesus but would be cursing Jesus. They would claim to be having the gifts of the Spirit, but they actually were faking the gifts, if you will, making them look like they were God's gifts. People that were claiming to be gifted by God, but whose lives did not reflect at all the Spirit of God. So it's creating all sorts of confusion because you have these people that are making these statements like they're God's people, but they're not living accordingly. So the people, the genuine followers of Jesus are just confused about these spiritual gifts. Paul says, I want you to explain a couple things to you. He says, first of all, verse 4, he says, there's different spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. He then says, verse 5, he says, there's different acts of service. You're going you're gonna to serve differently, but just so you know, you're serving the same Lord, and you're going to see God work in different ways, but it's still the same God doing the work. Put them all together, it means this. In the body of Christ, the body of Christ is going to be so diverse. Different people look at us all, all with different gifts all with different places to serve, all working differently. We're supposed to be diverse. It's supposed to look different. And he says, that's the picture that I want you to get as we begin in this picture, this picture of diversity, but it's all God doing all of the work. And then he says a key statement in verse 7. He says in verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. There's the key statement. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Notice the key part, each of us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you a spiritual gift. He has been given to every single one of us. Every true follower of Jesus has at least a spiritual gift, sometimes multiple spiritual gifts, all for the common good. Now listen carefully. God wants, God wants his church to be a growing, flourishing, nurturing, vital group of believers. And so he has gifted each of us, you and me, with spiritual gifts. And he's counting on us together to use those gifts. So each of us has been given a gift. And immediately you go, ooh, wonder what mine is. Well, my hope is in these couple of weeks, if you don't know that, we'll help you discover that. I would also say when you say each of us is given a spiritual gift, a lot of us kind of go into that mode of, ooh, do I get to pick? Well, we'll see here momentarily about that. If you're not using your spiritual gifts, you're robbing us. Now catch this key thing. It says that everyone's been given a gift for the purpose of the common good for the purpose of building the church. So I have come to accept, there's no bragging here, there's no boasting, it's all God, I mean that so sincerely, I learn that more and more every day, but I have a gift in preaching and teaching. My gift that God's given me for preaching and teaching was not given for me. See, spiritual gifts are given to us for the benefit of others. My spiritual gift of preaching and teaching is given to me for you. Your spiritual gift is given to you for me, for us. So here's the question. Are you robbing us? Are you sitting here each week going, I love the church, but I'm not using my spiritual gifts? According to Scripture, then you're robbing us of the gift because God didn't give you this gift for you. He gave you this gift for me. Don't you rob me of my gift. We serve together in that way. That's the picture we need to get. We use our gifts together. Now, keep going. So now in verses 8 through 10, Paul begins to get a list of things. We're going to look at those lists next week. But jump down to verse 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. He said, it's, it's the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. He makes that choice. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Verse 11 says this, that he decides who gets the spiritual gifts. He decides it's not up to you. It's not for us to plead and, and to beg. It's not for us to pout. Oh, I got that one. Oh, I didn't get that one. Someone else got it. And that's how it works. God's the one who decides. It's not for us to say, oh, I hope I get a good one. They're all good ones. 
They all function differently. We'll talk about it. Now, he's the one that gives the gifts. Now, please hear this. He gives your spiritual gifts based on who you are, based on your temperament, based on your desires, based on your abilities, based on your talents, all of those things, because he knows you, and he knows you better than you know yourself. So he gives those gifts based on the fact that he knows who you are. And your gifts are going to complement who you are. And please know this. God always gets it right. Just a side note for you, a little free, free nugget in the sermon. You know, there are things in life that happen to us, and we wonder, God, what are you doing? You ever have those moments? God, I can't figure out what you're doing here. I can't figure out how this is part of the plan. Do you know that when you get to, be, get to stand before God one day, here's the one key thing you're going to see. You're going to see that God has always gotten it just right. He's always got it right. And so even in this moment with gifts, you're going, oh, I want this or that. God always gets it right. And so he gives that illustration of the body and the many parts. And whether you recognize it or not, it's all of us doing our little parts in different ways. Some will be up front speaking. Some will be in the shadows administrating. But if we all do our parts, we form the whole. So let's pause for a quick second. Let me give you a definition of what a spiritual gift is. Because I don't ever remember in my church that anyone defining it. So let me give you a definition. I'll put it on the screen for you. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a divine enablement. It's a God-given ability that God gives to each of his people in order to involve them in the advancement of his purposes. A spiritual gift is this God-given ability. It's been given by God, by his Holy Spirit. He gives it to each of his people so that we can be involved in God's plan and in God's purposes, but not just involved, empowered to be a part of his plan and purposes. Not working out of obligation, not working, hoping I can get through this, not working, hoping that I don't get burned out, but he can involve you in his plan and purposes, and he gives you the strength in which to do that. So the question comes up is, well, what's the difference then between spiritual gifts and talents or abilities? Because let's be honest, we see all sorts of people in our lives where we go, oh, they are so gifted. Some of you sports people watch sports, you'll see some great athlete go, oh, man, so gifted. Jordan, man, he was one gifted basketball player. You'll see a football player, you'll see a, a musician, and you go, oh, so gifted. We're probably using those words a little loosely from a spiritual side, but what is the difference? Now, to be sure, if God is the giver of all good gifts, and he is, then every talent and ability, anything good you see has been given by God. But more specifically, here's a key difference, a couple of differences. First thing is this, spiritual gifts are not given to all people, they are given to the church. That's the one difference. They're given to the church. But here's the key difference, key difference. There are lots of naturally talented people all around us. Only followers of Jesus get spiritual gifts. But here we go. Natural talents glorify individuals. Natural talents glorify the individual. A person with great natural talent, the talent points, points to their ability. The talent points to their greatness. The talent points to their, to their talent. Their abilities all point to them and glorify them. Even the most humble of them, their talents all point back to them. Difference between spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts when used properly all point to God. Natural talents, it's all about us, me. Spiritual gifts, all about him. Let me give you a story. A couple years ago, Diane and I, well, I was going to say we're invited, but it was kind of required for us to be at a dedication of a Steinway piano that was given to our, the university that, that uh, I was a chairman of the board there. And uh, this, kind of, this is a Steinway Grand donated, uh, I mean, this is as big as it gets, a Steinway Grand donated by Steinway of New York City uh, to our school, which is also in New York City. It was a pretty big deal. And in fact, this particular piano was being donated to us. And on top of that, this piano actually had a book written about it. I mean, how many people have books written about them, let alone pianos written about them? Uh, and so it kind of caught my attention. Well, here's the story. Uh, a, a writer, New York City writer, had decided he wanted to follow the life of a Steinway piano. 
apparently he really was struggling for material. So he went to work, and he went to Steinway, and he began, he picked a piano. Because don't forget, every creation of, piano, of Steinway has got its own magic number and all those pieces. So he followed the production of this piano, and then followed all the places that it went, all the concerts. Because whenever you see a big concert and there's a Steinway piano on stage, they don't typically own that. They, con- they contact Steinway, and they have an arsenal of pianos for these things. So he followed and wrote about all the places where this piano had been not knowing eventually this piano was going to be given to us. So there's a book that went with it. So he's there at this gathering. All sorts of dignitaries are there. And Steinway is there. And Steinway, of course, they're doing the donation. They have brought with them all their Steinway artists. Kind of a side note, the piano is so big that it was donated to the school, but they couldn't figure out how to get it up because you're in New York City, a 22-story floor a building. They couldn't figure out how to get it to the music floor. It didn't fit in any, anything. And you couldn't take it apart. One of our guys, active genius, uh, he looked at it and he said, I wonder if we can get someone that can lower the elevator below the doors, then open the doors, and maybe we could put the piano on top of the elevator instead of in the elevator. And of course, as he's thinking about these things, and we probably shouldn't tell any inspectors that we're thinking about this. (laughs) And so they did just that. And they did it and got it up, got it off, and got it in. Night is there, here we are. Uh, I was asked as the chairman of the board, would I close in prayer? Would I give a closing prayer when the night is over, dedicating this piano on a prayer of thanksgiving? I said, sure, I'll be happy to do that. And so they introduced all these people. And then there's about six Steinway artists. These are people from the church. Six Steinway are all there to all play the piano. So they're all introduced, they play their thing. About three quarters through the concert, it wasn't very long. I'm thinking about, I have to pray. And I'm thinking, what should I pray? I mean, I've prayed for a lot of things. I don't think I've ever prayed for a dedication of a piano. So this is a new one. And I'm thinking, well, how should I pray? And then I'm also thinking, but I have to, this is kind of leaving me empty. You know, from just the night, it's not really. So I'm getting a little nervous. I don't know how to pray. And then I think to myself, Scott, stop it. You're a professional prayer. Um, <laughs> You know, you're the guy. People, I mean, you walk into the room, they go, oh, would you pray? Because you're the pastor. Yeah, I can pray at the drop of a hat. You name the topic, I'll pray for it. But you need to know something, though some of you think, ah, oh, professional prayer. I don't professionally pray. Because prayer is, meant, is more than just words. So I don't just rattle off something. To rat- so as I'm sitting there thinking, I got to come up with something. Because I'm not going to get up there and just pray empty words. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know, I can get there. I can get to the fact, this is a great gift. Thank you, Steinway. And, you know, please use this piano for your kingdom. You know, I, I can get there. So I'm okay. And then there's two artists left. One guy gets done, and they introduce the last one. The last person that plays is not a Steinway artist. He's a student from the college. Sophomore, young Christian kid. He a black kid, plays a piano in his very large black church that he attends, and he plays the piano on their worship team. And he sits down and he begins to play. Now, you need to know, up to this point, there's not one song anyone played that I knew. Nothing I recognized. All wonderful pieces of art, but I didn't recognize one. He gets up, doesn't play anything I know or recognize or have ever heard. I say it's important because you know how that goes, right? You can sit there and not hear something you don't know, and you kind of go, yeah, yeah. And then you play something you know, you love it just because you actually know it. I didn't know it. And he starts playing. And at one point, I kind of like my eyes closed, and he's playing. Next thing I know, I got tears going down my face. And then it hits me. The Spirit of God just showed up in that room. And some of you are saying, oh, what did that look like? No, the windows didn't fog over. <laughs> there wasn't a mist in the room. There weren't flames of fire. It was evident of God's presence. The room was strangely silent, except for the piano. You think, well, how is that different than before? I don't know, but it was. And then I looked around the room, and I saw people with tears going down their face. I mean, church, I mean school people that knew Jesus, people that didn't know Jesus. God showed up. Why? Because a young man did not play the piano with his talent, but a spiritual gift was being demonstrated in that room. And all of a sudden, it was easy to pray. I can't give it all to you, but I can say this. It was easy to sit down and say, Father, something just happened that we all noticed. And that is the story of Jesus was just told 
and not one word was spoken. You see, that's the difference between the spiritual gift and talents. Talents point to look at the talent, look at the instrument. When that kid got done, people look at that instrument and say, how is it that that instrument could tell the story of Jesus? It's because there was a young man using his spiritual gift. Now remember, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts as he wishes. No need to keep your fingers crossed. No need to say to God, I think you got your wires crossed. No. He gives to the gifts, he gives his gifts to every one of us as a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower, you've got a gift. So are you using it. Some of you were thinking, well, if I got a gift, I must have missed it. If I got a gift, I must have been like you in class. Maybe I missed that Sunday when God was going around passing out the gifts. No, you didn't miss it. It's there. And we're going to explore together these next couple weeks, those spiritual gifts. Now, what's interesting about spiritual gifts is this, and we'll start wrapping it, wrapping it up here for today. There's four basic passages in the Bible where there are spiritual gifts listed. And if you go and you compile a list, some will say, I've got a list of them, and there's 19 spiritual gifts. Someone else will say there's 21. Some will say, no, it's 22. Still others will say there's nine. And yet other people will say, nope, no gifts for today. So you go, well, no wonder Paul said, I don't want you to be confused because that's confusing. So you say, well, Scott, how many are there? <laughs> I'm not sure. You go, wait a minute, are you confused? I didn't say I was confused. I said, I'm not sure. Because you see, here's what we miss. If you look at the spiritual gifts in Scripture as if it's an exhaustive list from God, that here's the list, I think you've missed it. Because we look at all the different passages, you'll see there's, there's, you know, there's some, a, a duplication, if you will. There's some re- re- repeating and some overlap because it wasn't meant to be an exhaustive list. Listen, the gifts that were given were the descriptions given to us by God of how people were being used by God's Spirit. God is saying, hey, look at this gift of teaching. Look at that gift of giving. Look at the gift of mercy. And he's listing these different gifts that are being seen in people as they're being used by God. So don't get wrapped up in how many. Let's talk about how God would use us. People in action. Now, next time, we're going to begin to look at the spiritual gifts. We're going to explore them. And as we explore them, you're going to learn this. You're going to think, hey, it's me. It's me. Or I'll reverse that. As we explore these, you're going to begin to realize that it's actually you. It's actually you that God's been watching for. It's actually you that God's been waiting for. It's actually you that God's been longing for. It's actually you that God has gifted. It's actually you that God has empowered. It's actually you. It's you that God has been looking for, saying, I've got something for you, just for you, and it will change your life. If you want to look before next week, I'll just put them on the screen. I'm not going to read them off, but there are four key passages. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. If you want to read them, you'll begin to get a sense of those different uh, lists that are there. Now, as I close, I do need to give you a a firm word. I'm not going to put all these verses on the screen, but I do have to give you one firm word. The Bible's very clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. Now listen carefully. One day, every one of us who's a follower of Jesus will stand before God and have to give an account of what we've done with what he's given us. That's the firm word, friends, every one of us. I won't give you the whole, the whole passage. I'll end with one in just a moment. But here's the story you might remember. Uh, it's, it's actually uh, um, found in Matthew chapter 25. And it's the story of the master. Remember, the master's going to go away, calls three of his servants together. And he said, I'm going to give to you five talents of gold. That was a measurement of gold. Five talents. I like the word talents there, right? Five talents of gold. I'm going to give another one two talents of gold and you one talent of gold. Of gold. I'm going to go away. These are my gifts. These are my things to you. But you, you use them. You grow them. I'll come back and we'll see how you did. Remember, the master comes back and the guy with five bags comes and says, look at master, I I invested these, I got five more bags. He goes, man, great job. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy with two bags says, look at master, I got two bags and I doubled mine to four. Job well done, good and faithful servant. Then the guy with one bag comes and says, well, I know you're a hard guy and that, you know, you you reap where you don't sow and you're kind of, you know, kind of stingy on this stuff. And I was afraid of losing your money. So I dug a hole and buried it. Here's your one bag back. 
look at these words that the master says to this guy. He says this, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown. I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're going, Scott, man, did you just read that? Scott, are you a little worried? Not me, I'm using my gifts. I can't speak for you. (laughs) You're going, does that mean that? I'm using my spiritual gifts. I mean, darkness, gnashing of teeth. So relax. No biblical scholar believes that the condition of heaven or hell or eternity, any of that is based on whether you're using your spiritual gifts or not. However, don't relax too much because the point of the parable is this. God takes very seriously what you're doing with what he's given you. And in a way that I don't fully understand, every one of us will stand before God and it will be a stark, stark day when we reckon what we've been given but you don't have to worry about that day. God's gifted you. Use your gifts. Use the gifts that he has given you that he's made for you. He has gifted each of us perfectly. He's gifted you perfectly based upon your personality, your interest, your abilities, and specifically how you can feel, feel, feel value and contentment, belonging. Final statement. I cannot adequately express to you or explain to you the freedom and the absolute joy, the fulfillment that I have experienced all these days of of following Jesus because of using my spiritual gifts and the fulfillment that comes. You see, admittedly, I wanted to be the next Billy Graham. No. I would have loved to have been the next Chuck Swindoll. I don't have a radio program. R.C. Sproul. I would love R.C. Slocum. Nope. God said, no. Your name's Scott. You're going to be in Essex, Vermont. And you're going to use the gifts that I have given you. And if you do, you're going to wake up every day and you're going to have a sense of fulfillment. Do you know, friends, 40 plus years later, when I wake up on Sunday morning, I can't wait to use my gifts and to serve him. And the fulfillment I get, I can't even begin to describe, but I can tell you this. You use your spiritual gifts, and you walk up to me, and you'll say, I know you can't describe it. I can't either, and isn't it great? Stick with me these next couple of weeks. It could be life-changing for you. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your truths. I just can't imagine that in this huge plan you have that you've chosen to use me, and you've chosen to use us, And then on top of that, we would normally be looking at, what do I have to do? How do I pull this off? You say, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you the gifts and the abilities, and then I'm going to empower them in you. Thank you for using us. I pray that these next couple weeks will be turning point moments for many people who will say, I got a gift. I got to use it. And then the experience that they'll have of that fulfillment that comes with it. Dismiss us today in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.